Let's face it, running a construction company can be chaotic. As business owners, we wear a lot of hats and we're constantly putting out fires. Luckily, there's a way to work simpler with Builder Trend. I'm a huge advocate for using technology to help run AFT, and Builder Trend is one of the most crucial tools I rely on to keep me on top of every detail. Built just for home builders and remodelers, this is an easy-to-use platform that helps manage all aspects of my business. My team's been using Builder Trend's project management platform for the last five years, and we love that they're always improving and adding new features to make our lives easier. This is something that we've really tried to take on internally to find ways to improve our system every day. Builder Trend just released a full set of financial services, added new tools like Takeoff to make estimates more accurate, and launched a total rebrand with a new mission to help change the future of construction, and we are on board. To learn more about how Build-A-Trend can help calm the chaos in your construction business, visit buildatrend.com backslash AFT. When you schedule a demo, you'll receive an exclusive 60-day money-back guarantee only available to my podcast listeners. I'm following Build-A-Trend into the future in construction. Come on board with us. The delta between negative reinforcement, which is here, and the performance you get from positive reinforcement, which is off the chart, is worth millions of dollars to your bottom line. And yet 99% of leaders have no clue what positive reinforcement is, nor do they know how to deliver it or utilize it or harness it for their business. So welcome to the Brad Lovett Podcast. And today we have Bill Sims with, with us. Welcome, Bill. Hey, good to be with you, Brad. Thanks for uh, for letting me uh, hop in. I'm excited to have you on. And Bill, he's a... Uh... Uh, public speaker, you know, motivational safety speaker, author, president of the Bill Sims Company. And we're going to dive into, um, I know before we we launched in, we were talking about green feed or greenbeanfeedback.com that I know you'll give a plug at the end. We'll have in the show notes, but maybe yep. let's start there. It, what, what caught my eye as we were prepping to have you on was this title, Green Beans and Ice Cream. Absolutely. Happy to help you with that. So I have to, you know, I have to kind of take a little side road here in the conversation. I've been doing a lot of travel in the last couple of weeks, New Orleans, Toronto, and other places. And so when I'm sitting on a plane, if you're by me and we have that, hey, what do you do? And hey, what do you do? I always say, well, I, you know, I am the global subject matter expert for green beans and ice cream, right? And uh, people are like, okay. And, and so I say, I know I'm the global subject matter expert because I made it up. Therefore, I'm the only expert on the planet. But but the whole <laughs> the whole idea behind green beans and ice cream is that we are really really good telling our employees, our kids, what they did wrong maybe where we need a little help is telling them what they did right for a change. And so mom figured that out, son, if you eat your green beans, you can have ice cream. It is the remarkable power of positive reinforcement at work. And how do we as leaders have an awakening moment that there is this force out there that we could be using and, and how do we get better at it, right? And more thoughtful and purposeful in our use of it with everybody around us, clients, employees, our spouse, our kids. Uh, that's kind of kind of the focus. It's interesting you bring that up because when I think about positive reinforcement, in, in your experience, you know, especially living the career and, you know, family you've had, why do leaders tend to struggle giving positive reinforcement? Well, you know, our, our default method of leadership, the one only one we've been taught, and I mean, I, I, I have 
I've presented leadership sessions to Disney and Boeing and DuPont, and I've asked them Kuwait Oil and Kuwait, and I've asked them all this question, and they've all confirmed it. The default method of management that we use, uh, and the only one we've been taught, is leave alone zap. That means we leave people alone and we say nothing when they're doing it correctly, uh, but we hammer them when there's a mistake, right? Um, so from a safety perspective, you know, a common challenge that a safety manager has is getting people to wear their PPE, their hard hat, fall protection, and their safety glasses. And so, you know, quite often we go, we walk right past three people who are doing everything exactly the way they need to, and we say nothing, we leave them alone, and we are trained to look for the exception, the one person without the hard hat, and we proceed to zap them. And uh, so leave alone zap management is the default. Uh, it, is, it is how we are trained to lead others. Um, but, you know, tragically, it, it, it does not produce long-term results, long-term sustainable improvements in behavior. So as you look at leadership as a whole, I would imagine, you know, especially as you've consulted some of these large firms, outside of positive reinforcement, other methods, and, and maybe they're in collaboration with positive reinforcement, you know, that lead to great leadership. Yeah, you know, I, 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 so from a behavioral science standpoint, there's really, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to go down a little little path, a little fork in the road here. And then I, I think if you will do me a favor, when I'm done with this, back me up and ask me the question, what makes a great leader great? Because that's a lot of fun. And I think it'll help us today to frame this conversation. Um, what, what we know from behavioral science, 100 years of research, you know, beginning with the works of uh, Thorndike and B.F. Skinner and then built on top of that by Dr. Aubrey Daniels, who was was one of my mentors. Um, there's only four things we can do as a leader with someone who's a follower to us. We can uh, deliver punishment, penalty. And the problem with punishment and penalty is they really only work if you're trying to stop a behavior you don't want. So for instance, speeding down the interstate 30 miles an hour faster than we should, the police don't like that, they wanna stop that. So they punish us and penalize us with speeding tickets and fines and that sort of thing. But, but if you wanna get safe, more, more, more of a behavior, like getting people, for instance, to wear their seatbelt, or um, uh, th then you really are now down to only two other kinds of consequences. So I, I guess I would just say punishment and penalty really don't work in the leadership business. They're pretty toxic, um, very not very useful. But the two that we can use as leaders to increase a behavior are negative reinforcement uh, or R minus and positive reinforcement, R plus. And uh, the default is quite often negative reinforcement. 99% of the time we as business leaders are, are using negative reinforcement, uh, which also has toxic side effects to morale and engagement. And frankly, I don't think you'll have a zillennial that ever works for you or a millennial if you're a negative reinforcement leader. Uh, so positive reinforcement is unique in that we get an increase in safety, quality, customer service, all the things we're after as leaders, but we get it without the toxic side effects of the other three consequences. So from a you know purist behavioral science standpoint, I, I would kind of park that conversation there. And if you want to dig deeper into that, 
we can have my conversation about the bear in the woods in Alaska. So just write down bear in the woods and that'll, that'll be where we go next. But uh, I'm going to come back to what I, maybe where I asked you to put a pin a moment ago. And that's this question of what makes great leaders great. You know, so I was just in New Orleans. Uh, I did about 230 companies. We did a leadership sessions. Then I went on to Toronto and uh, did another three days of leadership training. And one of the opening questions that I like to ask, what makes a great leader great? So, you know, we, we talk about uh, President Zelensky in the Ukraine, phenomenal leader, servant leader. Uh, George Washington, Valley Forge, another servant leader. We talk about Paul O'Neill at Alcoa, tremendous servant leader. Uh, and we say, you know, what, what really makes great leaders great? Uh, and if, if you could go from being a C student as a leader to an A student, how would we measure that? How would we know it, right? And we do some really fun exercises with the group and they will inevitably come up with a list of 20 traits of great leaders, right? And it'll be things like communicates well, has vision, mentors others, uh, approachable, you know, listens, uh, integrity. Uh, and, and after they come up with that list in the exercise we do with the class, we then say, hey, uh, would you like to see the list that Disney World came up with? Top 100 leaders of Disney were, were through this. So, oh, yeah, we want to see that. So I put the two lists up and they're identical. I mean, it's like they are they read each other's minds. Right. And I say, oh, by the way, this list is, that Disney built and your list, not only are they the same, but they're almost identical to the ones that we built in Kuwait with Kuwait oil or Saudi Arabia. So wherever I go around the world, people generally know what they want from their leaders. Tragically, they don't often, we don't often get it. In particular, our political leaders, we don't. And we have a lot of fun with politicians in the session. We uh, have some really great little joke moments. But, but that, that sort of tees us up for the next discussion, which is really while everyone can come up with a list of 20 things that make great leaders they think great nobody not even disney ever gets my question right nowhere on the planet so what makes great leaders great is a very unique question and the answer is pretty powerful um let me pause i've been prattling and you know you may be asleep over there i didn't hear you snore um any thoughts so far before I go deeper? Yeah, I, I have a few thoughts. And it's interesting because when you're mentioning the uh, the negative reinforcement, the minus, you know, the R minus and the positive reinforcement, R plus, and really going into, as, as you speak about great leaders, it, it, I, I was just contemplating even, I, I know beforehand you had asked me about some of the sports stuff behind me. And in sports, it's fascinating because, you know, many years ago, a lot of the coaches felt that they had to yell and scream at their athletes, right? And Great. the famous Bobby Knight throwing chairs at a player, right? And and you look at now, and there's so many coaches. You look at Tony Dungy and so many others that are, are really good teachers, right? And they're not screamers. They're maybe not using foul language. They have other ways to motivate and really create confidence and create um, players that will follow them and play hard. And so it, it, it's not that um, – 
that everyone's weaker. And you mentioned kind of the millennial and millennial coming in that the, the reality is there's a different way to communicate. And, and it's important that we understand these metrics. And I guess the question I have for you, Bill, is when you were speaking about as people are looking at these great leaders and how similar they are between all these organizations, right? And you meant, you made a comment, you said, people that are following, they know what they want. What have you found that to be? So taken away from the leadership side of maybe what any of us should be doing as leaders, but if we're employees, what is it that we're seeking for? And then maybe we could take that information and again, apply it sure. as leaders of our organizations. Yeah. And I mean, you know, just, just kind of springboarding off what you um, touched on. I, I think one of the great books for anybody in sports to read is by John coach, John Wooden um, on leadership. And uh, if you haven't read that book um, really powerful, he was a servant leader. He was not a yeller, not a screamer, um, but he, uh, I believe Kareem Abdul-Jabbar played for him. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. just the guy was legendary. Nobody cares how much you know till they know how much you care. So, you know, I I, I put that book on the table for you. Um, you, you know, I think we, we go back to what um, the research has said. doesn't really matter what generation you're talking about, millennials, zillennials, boomers, Gen X. Uh, the number one thing, and 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 a survey was, number of surveys have been done. Bob Nelson, good buddy of mine, Doctor Doctor Bob, 1996. Bob does a survey of the American worker, and he says, "What's the number one thing that motivates you to give your very best at work to every day?" And the American worker said, "I want to make a difference, and I want my boss lady to say something about that." So, you know, I think about Steve Jobs. He said, I want to put a ding in the universe. Dude, he put a freaking dent in it, man. Good job, Steve. <laughs> um, and, you know, when we think about that need for autonomy to make a difference and for somebody to give us feedback that, hey, you, you did it. That's, this is what you did. That, that is the, the need for positive feedback across all generations is consistently up there as number one. More money is number eight on the list and never higher than number eight um, for 30 years of studies. So the, the interesting and curious thing about Bob Nelson's research is now in 1996, he says, okay, so positive reinforcements, number one driver of worker engagement, morale, job satisfaction. How many of you received positive reinforcement from your supervisor in the past six months? Almost 70% had never heard the words thank you from their supervisor's mouth. Today, I'm betting we're pushing 90% uh, because, um, you know, the pandemic uh, destroyed a whole lot of stuff culturally and, and, and it, around this country in a number of ways. So, you know, that brings, brings us to the question of, well, okay, if the number one driver of employee engagement satisfaction is positive reinforcement, why aren't our leaders delivering it? And for that, all we had to do was just go do a survey with them. And we asked the, the supervisors, we said, okay, what's the number one driver of employee engagement in your opinion? And the supervisor said, cash is king, money talks. So they think money's number one. And they don't and, and they don't even rank positive reinforcement as having value. You know, one of them said to me in a in a focus group, positive reinforcement. We got that covered, Bill. We do it every Friday around here. It's called your paycheck. So, 
there's our there's our problem right and um that's really what the book is sets out to fix and what my speeches and and workshops are about is correcting that imbalance that no really number one driver of um of employee satisfaction is positive reinforcement and the millennials were raised on it they were raised my two girls quite often we had a little lab lapse there let's see how that yeah as you do that i think is interesting because you mentioned um you know and i've heard this said many times right that really at the core of it motivated people good company cultures um they believe in the product, but I, I think to dive deeper, more important than that is what you mentioned. They they want to make a difference, and so that if they're working for a company or brand where they feel that they're making a difference, whether it be, um, as you mentioned, Steve Jobs, there's a, there's a lot of ways through technology, through communication, through you know manual labor, you know building a home for somebody, um, you know a, a product, whatever it may be. If if people believe that they're making a difference, or even at the at the skill set of their position in the company that they're making a difference, maybe in leadership or those around them, or maybe they're implementing new procedures and operations to, you know, enhance the the benefit of the company. And then, as you mentioned, they want their boss to, to recognize that. And I thought that was interesting because so many times we have good people that are working for us that do have great ideas. Are we listening to those? Are we implementing those? And then more importantly, are we recognizing them for their willingness to communicate to share those and you know notice the hard job a lot of them are doing yeah and i mean 100 percent, making a difference is one of the key positive reinforcers in our work um for i i go back to think about you know i just finished building a house with brian clifton who's a wonderful builder and and uh, daniel threadgill here in south carolina great experience 10 houses in the neighborhood the other nine homeowners all wound up suing their their builder so that was uh, not great but brian was a wonderful experience and i mean you know every he he looks at the house and you can see the the pride in his face at what he and his team have done and and um you know i'm i'm sure i'm pretty much a handful to deal with he'll tell you that he's got a few more gray hairs after uh, after reading Bill Sims emails and text messages at 1 a.m. in the morning, which is the only time, frankly, Brian, I have to, to handle these things, right? You don't have to read them at 1 a.m. You just have to get them the next morning. But but it, it is that uh, we we know that there that work itself provides positive reinforcement for all of us. But there's so much, you know, more that we can do as leaders to really, really hone that skill set. This episode is brought to you by Pella Windows. When it comes to building homes at AFT, almost every project has Pella Windows. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relationships with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers. Because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. They're, their company culture, their integrity, their honesty. You know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra-contemporary, historical preservation, and 
large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. And, and without maybe getting into specifics, but maybe there was there an ethos, a communication. What, what do you think separated your nine neighbors to you in that building experience? You know, the management style, communication, whatever, with, with your builders as opposed to the other ones? Man, that's like a probably a five-day <laughs> workshop to go through, you know, uh, I, I think that Brian has developed a, a, an excellent system of building houses. And he started as a banker. He's exceptionally detail-oriented. Somehow he wound up going from being a banker to a builder, which is an interesting you know, career jog over. Um, and um, so, so, I, I mean, my, my sense about him and I really only know one or two of the other, you know, builder stories, what I've heard from the owners. And it could be that, you, you know, that it could just be any number of reasons there was a train wreck. But fundamentally, it comes down to the say-do ratio, right, which is the problem we have in politics. Um, say what you're going to do and do what you say. Let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. So... That's what Brian is able to execute on. Bill, we'll start this house in July. You should expect it to be done next June. Okay, great. Guess what? He finished it in May. Hot diggity dog. You know, he, he said what he was going to do and he did what he said, right? And I think, um, you know, there's a, there's um, fundamentally he has to have the subcontractors lined up. He has to have the systems to schedule. And he's got to stay on top of a million and one things as a builder, right? Um, so I, I couldn't, I couldn't give you any one single thing other than the guy's got integrity, uh, the guy's got his say do ratio in order, um, and I mean that's probably a whole nother podcast, man. Just we get let's get Clifton on here, right? And we'll get him for the next. <laughs> one. We'll do it. We'll talk about it, um, and. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that gave you what you wanted, but that's, you it know, did. And, and, and I think really what it comes down to the core is, is what you're saying is that the say do ratio. And I think it, as you mentioned that we all could, all of us can visualize that in our head. Are we, are we living up to the sales pitch and really what it comes down to? I think that's a big part of it. If we're selling to get the job to work with you, Bill, okay, well now do my systems, does my operation, does my communication, does my process, line up to the bill of goods that I sold you when you signed that dotted line. And that's where a lot of us go astray, right? And then you think about all the little other layers to that, but at the core of it, it's process, systems, communication, and internal, I'd imagine, going, you know, I don't know your builder, but I'd imagine that they're internally for his company to take pride in their workmanship and the job and to really want to exceed your expectation there must be positive reinforcement. Some of the core values that you're yeah. speaking of today must be implemented, I'd imagine, internally. And that's why, you know, they have this really good process for you as a client. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, I'll, I'll also say this. He's probably the most expensive builder I interviewed. I don't I don't I think if you don't price enough profit in the job, you won't have enough profit to pull all this stuff off and you won't be able to attract the subs 
and all the people on your team that you need, which means you have to understand if you're going after the high end market, not the low end market, what that looks like from a sales perspective. But that, that's the whole fundamental disconnect between any company. Sales may promise what they, the client wants, but can production keep up with that? And obviously if, if we don't, then there's a, a collapse of the say do ratio and now we've lost trust and that typically winds people up in court um, or certainly they wind up getting a bad reputation, you know, in the community. And for every, what is it, every one customer you drop the ball on, they tell what, 10 or 20 more people um, how, how bad it was. So, yeah, I think, I think somewhere in there that there's um, uh, hopefully an answer that, that's, that's helpful. Um, any other thoughts in that direction that you wanted to go? Yeah, in fact, my, I, I still had a note here. My mind was intrigued when you talked about this bear in the woods in Alaska story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I'm, I'm going to give you two stories here. I'm watching our time window. So the part that nobody ever gets right about what makes great leaders great, and there's three, three fundamental questions that I have to ask, right? Um, the first, first is a statement. Um, if every single employee that works for you was perfect, we wouldn't have to hire so many what? Supervisors, managers, right? Foremen. Um, and, and so I always say to supervisors in my classes, so be glad your employees aren't perfect. That there, fellas, is job security for you. Woohoo, right? <laughs> Concept number one, right? Concept number two, the measure of your ability to lead others is not what they do when you're there with your clipboard behind them making notes. They're going to do the best they know how when the boss man's there. The true measure of your ability to lead is what they do when you leave. In the moment of choice, what decision do your people make for safety, quality, production, customer service? This is how we define and measure great leaders. Uh, it's what their followers do in the moment of choice when they're not watching, right? So how do we, how do we get people, because what, what great leaders do, like Zelensky, they create a culture of commitment where people give more than they normally would, safety, quality, production, whatever. How do we, how do, we do that? If we master that skill, which is what my workshop and book are, is all about, it's worth incredible money to the bottom line and to any business that you work for. It, it works at home with your kids um, and your spouse. So, you know, I wanted to unpack that and then that kind of tees up Bear in the Woods. Um, Bear in the Woods is, um, you know, one of the, one of the most challenging questions in behavioral science and it took me three years to finally get it into my brain to where I could wrap my arms around it is, um, is what's the difference between negative reinforcement, which is what most companies and leaders are using right now to change behavior and positive reinforcement. Right. And, um, and so the, the, the difference is that they're, they're very similar. It's kind of like electricity. You know, you got alternating current and direct current. Both of them will shock you. Both of them will probably turn on a light bulb, but they're different. So what's the difference in negative reinforcement, 
which causes a behavior to increase the behavior of, let's say, running or showing up at work on time and positive reinforcement. Now, we'll have some fun with this. Um, you probably got it all figured out. You want to take a stab at this. And by the way, I'm really putting you on the spot. This is the toughest question in behavioral science. You, you can say, no, I'm not going to take a shot at it, Bill. I'll plead the fifth. You, you know, no pressure. Yeah, what's the uh, uh, and you're asking me yeah. specifically difference, like difference between negative reinforcement and positive. How do you know it's one or the other? Any any ideas you want to take a stab at it from a coaching so, perspective? You hey, you I'm mentioned you mentioned your guy that throws chairs at people. Taking it, what yeah. was his name again? So Bobby Knight, who did yeah, who threw chairs? Yeah. And so I guess if I understand the question you're saying, I'm, I'm trying to think, are you asking me to give like a real life example or just kind of my opinion on what the difference would be from a management style? Your, your, your opinion, how, how could we tell the difference between negative reinforcement if we're using well, that as a, and positive? Maybe, maybe I'll put it this way. If it were me as an employee, positive reinforcement as opposed to negative, um, negative reinforcement would be, you know, that, that blood pressure escalates, right? That have, maybe a fear what's going to be the outcome you know I'm, I'm working fear panic possibly lose my job maybe be demoted and and so i'm thinking that mindset whereas if i'm positively being motivated by a leader or manager or a coach or you know someone in that it, th there's a part of me that wants to go above and beyond go the extra mile work harder be more efficient um do more than what i'm being asked you know maybe stay longer um and so i think the example for me of positive reinforcement would be that management style that's recognizing, as you mentioned, what I'm doing and, mm -hmm. and it makes me want to work harder or be better because that person is more of a teacher or educator as the, as opposed to more of a disciplinarian. Perfect. Great answer. Um, and really good and, and spot on. Um, we'll, we'll use the bear in the woods examples. So I was in Alaska, um, doing some, speeches in Anchorage and I wound up, I try to avoid, you know, staying in the concrete jungle of the city and try to stay out of the, the city where I can be surrounded by nature and feel like I'm actually in Alaska. Right. And um, so the hotel that I stay at when I go there has got a beautiful uh, rainforest behind it with a national park and you can take a jog through the woods and little did I know that, you know, when I took my run at 9 p.m. at night and 9 p.m. at night, of course, in Alaska, it's like noontime here in South Carolina. You know, they got 23 <laughs> hours, 23 hours of sunlight. They grow 900 pound pumpkins. It's amazing. And, you know, the, 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 the problem with running in Alaska through the woods by yourself is, A, you really have to have three things when you go running. Number one, another person with you. Number two, a gun. Number three, a dog. And Number four, you got to wear bear bells. What are bear bells? Well, bear bells tinkle, 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 make a sound so Mama Grizzly Bear can get her babies out of the way before you round the trail. Because if you surprise Mama Grizzly Bear and her babies, she's going to lock eyes on you and it's like it's on Donkey Kong. And man, she's running 35 miles an hour by the third stride. She can climb trees. You ain't getting away from her. So if you think about for a moment, uh, obviously I made it back alive without my bear bells, but I, I did learn a, an important lesson uh, about running in Alaska. Um, if you think about for a minute, if you were running down that trail and you encounter a mama grizzly bear, 12 feet tall, 
um, you're going to turn around and start heading back for the hotel and you're clocking your best time ever your whole life, right? Uh, you're running because she's after you and that is negative reinforcement. If you don't run, you're going to die, right? So you're running from fear is, is one little clue and that echoes what you said a moment ago. Mm -hmm. And your behavior of running will continue on and on and on and on until around the corner you come and there I am with a shotgun. Boom. I take down mama grizzly bear. Don't tell the animal rights folks. I just had to do it to save you, Brad. And, um, and down she goes. And the moment she stops chasing you, your the negative reinforcement's gone. Your behavior of running will stop. You will stop dead in your tracks. You will, <sighs> you saved me, Bill. Thank you, man. And, and so when we operate under negative reinforcement, we're doing something to avoid losing our job or to avoid some painful event. The behavior only continues until the, the consequence is gone and then we stop. So that's the problem with negative reinforcement. It's very short term in its, in its impact. Now contrast that with one of my favorite movies, Forrest Gump where Forrest learns, I can run like the wind, and Forrest proceeds to run all the way across the United States and back several times, right? Positive reinforcement, you, do, you continue doing the behavior even after the consequence is gone. So you, you, the coach reinforced you positively, good job on how you handled that layup or, or how you did your socks so you wouldn't have blisters on your feet, right? This is, this is what I'm looking for, Brad. And all those little micro touches build up with a really great coach like a Wooden where um, when Wooden's not there and he's gone, you're still playing basketball. It's now who you are, right? So the delta between negative reinforcement, which is here, and the performance you get from positive reinforcement, which is off the chart, is worth millions of dollars to your bottom line. And yet 99% of leaders have no clue what positive reinforcement is, nor do they know how to deliver it or utilize it or harness it for their business. It, it's such a great example. And as you're thinking about that, and maybe this is at the core of behavioral science as you think about this, Bill, but all of us have heard these analogies, as you mentioned, that owner's there, boss is gone, you know, cat's away, the mice will play. However, the really good employees, the really good personnel, doesn't matter. They, they don't have, you know, they could be on an island, as you mentioned. You don't need middle management because they're going to be exceptional. So I guess at the core is, at the, at the core of behavioral science, uh, I'd imagine if you have 10 people and let's say you kind of see the spectrum where one of them is going to be the superstar, never manage eight of them probably needs some sort of motivation. One of them is going to take a lot of your time, <laughs> right? right? That 10% taking right. 90% of your time in that middle 80%, let's say, does it come down to systems, organization, positive reinforcement that those 80% now can actually get to that top 10% level. And what, I guess what I'm asking you is that, really good management, do they have an ability to get even more out of their people through positive reinforcement where now they are there? They're at that level where they don't have to be babysat or reprimanded or incentivized because essentially they, you, you know, they've been uplifted by the manager. Yeah, we, we would, 
we would call it at that point, people hit what we call habit strength. Um, the habit is so ingrained in the person that they're going to be a, a, a high performer right on out. Um, now, you know, everybody needs positive reinforcement, right? Because the world is good at dishing up the opposite of it every single minute of the day. So it's how long do you want a behavior to continue? Um, positive re positively reinforce it if you want it to continue. It's kind of like breathing. How long do you want to live? You got to keep breathing, right? But the amount of the, 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 the amount of touch points certainly can reduce as the person hits that high performing habit strength point. Um, now your, you know, typical organization, we ignore the ones in the middle and we spend all our time with the loser down here at the bottom. In fact, what we need to do is build probably some, some fences and barriers around the losers, guard our time because who we really are going to get the return from are those mid tier players. If we can get them from being a six on a scale of six to 10 to being an eight on a scale of eight to 10, we've, we've now really achieved something. And for those people, absolutely, the system systems have to be in place. The resources have to be there. And then our coaching utilizing positive reinforcement has to be there. Um, so uh, not sure if that answered what you wanted. You better, you know, give me an inventory back on that. What did I leave laying on the table? Yeah. And essentially that's what it is, right? You're looking at that 80%. And if you're managing your time wisely and investing in them, that's going to be your biggest ROI. Yeah. Let me ask you this, because one thing is, you know, I was prepping for this. I saw a comment about, um, that you speak of called organizational communism. And that stuck out to me because I was curious what, uh, that exactly entailed. Yeah. I, I love talking about organizational communism. You know, I, I what I typically say is that a lot of people believe that America won the Cold War. In fact, organizational communism is alive and well in almost every organization. Um, and, you know, what does that what does that look like? And, and basically, um, you, you have four kinds of people that come to work for you. And, um, and and those four are number one, you bring me on board today. Um, I'm incompetent. I don't really know much about your work. Um, you got to train me. You got to give me the tools to get the job done. And so now you move me to what I call non-compliant, which is I'm not doing the things that I should be because I'm either texting while I, I'm driving the company vehicle and I, and I shouldn't uh, because I don't care or because I don't know. Right. So you have the incompetent worker. You have the non-compliant worker. We move people then to compliance. They do it because we're there with our clipboard. And last but not least, we have our fourth kind of worker, the one we want more of, the, the unicorns. Uh, these are the committed workers who do the right thing in the moment of choice when you're not watching. Now, the, the tragedy in American business and business globally is that you take, let's just pretend for a minute that you're a unicorn, you're committed, you're busting your butt for quality, safety, customer service. You're you're here. This is Brad. And let's pretend that I'm here. I'm Bill. I am non-compliant. Uh, I'm goofing off, taking shortcuts, doing things that could harm the, the build project quality. I'm a cave person, citizen against virtually everything, right? So you have cave people and you have unicorns, committed people. So these are the two of us. 
And then what happens is somebody higher up the food chain says, you know what, let's celebrate. Let's give them all a Carhartt jacket and a barbecue dinner because we didn't have any injuries for a year. Okay, hang tight. So as I'm going through the barbecue dinner line behind you, hey, Brad, my plate of food is just as big as yours. How's that make you feel? Right? So when we give you the exact same compensation or reward as me, the slacker, did we not punish and destroy your commitment? Did 100%. we not reward my bad behavior? Yeah. So that's organizational communism. You know, boomers have really enjoyed and Gen Xers teasing millennials about every kid gets a trophy. What we fail to see is that it's actually boomers and the generation before that created organizational communism. It just got a new name when we go call it every kid gets a trophy, right? So if you if you have organizational communism in your business model, um, it does way more damage than you could ever imagine. It destroys commitment. Um, and so you need to figure out ways to get rid of it and um, to weed it out and to, to replace it with positive consequences for people that are contributing uh, to the organization's success. But measuring that is the tough part, right? I was just going to ask that because I I think the most challenging thing with any company, especially as you get bigger, is you have to find a way to measure success, work ethic, um, collaboration, whatever it may be in your organization. You have to measure it. You have to hold them accountable. You have to have reviews. You have to have KPIs, you know, performance indicators. And so I'd imagine that there's an investment there, right, from any business, any owner, that if you really want to avoid organizational communism, you need to invest in the systems and the organization so that you can track and monitor to avoid someone who may be looking at their peers saying, I work way harder than Bill. I'm showing up early. I'm on time. Why are we at the same level? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, um, you know, again, longer conversation than we probably have time for today, but I, I hold patents in how to measure those critical behaviors. Uh, so, you know, for, for instance, I'll go back to coach John Wooden. Um, and this really struck me as important from his book. And I, and I think Wooden was like the all time greatest, most successful college coach, basketball coach. There was won the most championships, you know, coached all these famous players. If I have that wrong, forgive me, but it, that's the gist of what no, I know right. about Am, am I yeah, right? He he did, and he had Kareem and Bill Walton and a whole list of great players in UCLA when they were dominating the sport for a long time. When they were at the top of their game. And and yeah. so one of the things that he did, which is really, really important, he told his team, never look at the scoreboard. He said, you can look at the scoreboard at the end of the game. If the other, he said, what I want you to look at instead of the scoreboard are the behaviors that I've given you to work on. Do this with your socks, do this with your shoelaces, do this with this, the, the hundreds of little micro behaviors that, that give you the edge over your, over your competitor. And he said, you pay attention to those things, I'll pay attention to them. At the end of the game, when we look up at the scoreboard, if we have more points on the board, it tells us we paid attention to the details better than our, our opponent. If they have more points than us, 
they paid attention to the details better than what a beautiful uh, mindset. It's all about behavior. That's why, you know, one of the things I've talked about for years, it's all about behavior change. So, you know, pinpointing the critical behaviors that a supervisor needs to give you on a job site, that a frontline worker needs to give you, that a, an, a, an engineer needs to give you, that a, a superintendent needs to give you, what are the critical behaviors that a roofing crew should give you? Those are, that's doable. It's, it's work. It's, 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 it's effort. I mean, but we help companies do that all the time. And when you get it right, I mean, we see companies that cut their workers' comp bill in half or more. Uh, they improve quality, productivity, throughput. Um, so if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. And so that's one of the things our software tools do is they make it easy to measure the things that right now are maybe hard or impossible to measure, um, which are real-time behaviors throughout the day, not the dollars on the profit line at the end of the job. Those dollars on the profit line are just like what John Wooden said at the end of the job. If we have dollars in the bottom in, in, in the bottom line, it's because we paid attention to the details along the way. Right. Schedule, cost, production, all those things were were being managed real time. And perhaps that's what a Brian Clifton would would. It would be interesting to get his take on this if he were on the you know a future show. I, I think you've got to measure it day by day as you go speak to that because you mentioned patents you have patents that actually and you, you alluded to software that you have what is that specifically especially for an organization to look at to say hey i really want to figure out how to gauge the metrics and not just look at the scoreboard not just look at the final profit at the end of a job but over the course the details that that matter that will lead us to that yeah so you know the the whole idea is you when we when we roll that software out, we sit with a company and we figure out where where they're where they're how they make money and how they lose money. Where, for instance, where are you? Um, let's just take safety as an example. If, if you safety is a byproduct of how well we run the business. If you have an out of control process and people are getting injured, then your safety is going to be bad. Your schedule's gone. Your production and profitability are out, out the window. So we first have to figure out what are the critical behaviors that we need from every single person in the company. And they're going to be different depending on where you are in the hierarchy to achieve a success at the end of each day, showing up at work on time, being ready to work before you get there instead of us burning 30 minutes telling you what to do, having all your tools together and your fall protection. You know, that that could be one, it probably is one critical best best practice, but there's others. And then just like Wooden focused his players on making sure their socks were tight and their shoelaces were tight and this, that, you got to focus on those behaviors on the job site that are going to make that job a safe job, a profitable job, and a, and a job of quality, right? Communication, three-way communication would be another best practice. Okay, so we need a piece of trim. It's going to be 96 point inch 96 and a half inches long all right well then i'm going to shout that back to you before i cut it 96.5 got it right three-way communication best practice nuclear power industry you know came up with that one and and you're going to confirm back yeah you're right all right so now i'm going to cut the trim so there are identifying critical behaviors and then creating the software tool enabling it so that 
we can positively reinforce those critical behaviors every single time we see them uh, and measure that. That's the gist of it. Um, I mean, it you know to know what those behaviors are again is work, and it it I've thrown a few out here that might have some legs, might not. We'd have to get a group of people together from a, any given business, and um, and and then work through what those might be. They might be completely different than what I've said. So as you're going through that analysis, I mean, what what led you to this, Bill? From you personally being an expert on behavioral science and the green beans and ice cream and, you know, creating the software, you know, that, um, wh where did this stir from? So my dad started the company in the 1960s, um, working with some really great CEOs of textile firms, Roger Milliken, uh, Bob Coleman, they're all in my book. And we, we learned, in the 60s and 70s that if you treat people with dignity and respect, they will pay you back in ways you can't believe. Safety, quality, um, product, production. And um, so we, we really didn't have a lot of clarity and we didn't have, we, we, knew, we knew there was lightning struck, but we didn't know how to make it strike and we didn't know how to bottle it and make it focused. And that was really my passion early 80s was to you know, kind of, kind of start figuring that out. So one of the, I guess the first um, successful things I did was in the early eighties, all the, all the companies, Coca-Cola, General Motors, Ford, the way they were reinforcing safe behaviors was pretty much the same. Hey, if you guys go a month without reporting any injuries, we're going to give you all a T-shirt, a barbecue dinner, and maybe a gift card to you know to, to Walmart or whatever. And um, we we know today those are what we call lagging indicator approaches, and we know that they are pretty toxic. They cause people to hide injuries, not report because nobody wants to blow it for the team. So um, I started in the early 80s with this crazy idea, pitching it to safety directors all over the South uh, here in America. Hey, guys, I think it's time to stop. We all know what's wrong with the old approach that everybody's been doing, the injury hiding thing. I got a new idea for us. Let's create a, a little scratch off safety buck. And uh, we, oh, my camera's going to zoom in. Hold on. I got to zoom it back out. It's got that one little thing. You do that gesture and it's like, man, it's the, you can count the pores on my nose. And I said, let's create this little scratch off safety buck and let's empower your supervisors to hand these out for desired behaviors. Thanks for that near hit you just reported, Joe. Here's a safety buck. Keep it up. Let's me and you go fix it. When you get that rebar, steel rebar cap, so somebody doesn't get impaled on it, uh, I'll give you another one. And, you know, long story short, we drop people's injury rates 80% and their work comp cost 80%. And we did it hundreds of times, um, thousands of times. And so I kept doing that, doing that, doing that for a while. And then I realized there was a, a, a next level up beyond safety bucks. And that's really smart card. That's the one that got me the patent, right? Where we began to actually be able to measure real time positive reinforcement conversations in the workplace through through an app. And um, and that, again, you know, is successful. It builds on the work that Safety Bucks started. Uh, so 
my laboratory was pretty much doing this a thousand times in manufacturing, construction, transportation, and seeing it succeed, fail, succeed, kind of sputter and fail. And um, so then I began to see, well, you know what? Maybe there's a need for a book, right? To start helping people see what I see. And that book came out in 2012. It's a two and a half hour read. Uh, here's a crass commercial plug. Greenbeanbook.com is, is where they can go for that. Um, or they can get a free audio book. Remind me of that at the end and I'll give you that one. And, um, and so as I wrote the book and I started speaking about it, I realized there was this whole nother level of knowledge around positive reinforcement that leaders did not have. And I, I, I've come to understand, I think, why that is because one day you're the hardest working guy on the team. You're the best framer we got or the best roofer. And the next day we, we're going to make you a supervisor, right? And, you know, did we give you any soft skills training? Heck no. Soft skills are the hard skills. That's what I teach in my SEAL safety engagement and servant leadership course. So it, it's, it, it's really, I guess, the, the fun part for me has been helping leaders to see there's another way to deal with their kids at home, to deal with their employees, their, their spouse, and, and to lead through positive reinforcement where people are running for pleasure and they're not running from pain, right? Which is what you said in the beginning when I, when I asked you that and you answered very well. Um, so that's, that's where I am today. You know, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun just kind of doing my thing, helping people understand there's a different way to go about this. And then, you know, if they, they may have systems, they may not need my systems to do it. That's okay or they may need some help, you know, doing it. So we can, we can, we can help there too. Well, no matter how good of an organization, I think all of us can look at a, a better way, a better method, more implementation. Um, there's a tremendous value that you just instilled uh, and shared with us, Bill. And I could talk to you all day. I mean, this is fascinating to me. And, you know, I look at the clock and I'm like, we're already out of time, you know, and, and you do such a good job with examples and, and real life situations that we can all understand, especially with that safety example, right? The safety bucks as opposed to, Hey, let's hide an injury. Cause we're trying to hit this metric, you know, um, because we're out of time. And I, and, and again, want to be uh, thankful to you for the time you've given built our audience. I know you mentioned that they could download uh, the green beans and ice cream, you know, audiobook on their own. So where can our listeners find you? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll give a couple of resources. Um, for the audio book, if you enjoyed what you heard today, um, you can head out and get a video to share with your team. An audio book in that website is uh, greenbeanfeedback.com, greenbeanfeedback.com. If you're interested in learning more about me as a speaker, whether that's virtual or in person, um, the go-to web spot for that is um, beyond zero injuries.com just spell it out right beyond z-e-r-o injuries.com head there you can watch a keynote you can order the book there um green beans and ice cream and um brad thanks for you know having me on the show there's a lot more to talk about i hope we get to to get to do it again someday would love to have you back on bill well appreciate you very much thank you for making time today thank you buddy see ya if you give value from the show, please support us by giving a five-star rating and review on whatever platform you listen to. 
And I also have a favor to ask. We've had some incredible guests that come on and share their wisdom, their knowledge about their business. So if you have friends or family members that could benefit from those episodes, please share it with them, as well as any other business owners that you're networking with that could get value from the podcast or certain episodes. Please share those as well. Again, subscribe, make sure you're following any questions that you have, topics. We've had uh, listeners reach out about certain guests that we should have on the show. Again, brad.l at aftconstruction.com. Email me for topics to address, guests that we should have on, and even if you think you'd be a great guest for the show. So again, thank you for all your support, and we'll see you next time.